is jealous for me Love's like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of his winds and mercy So, we have these rituals in our weekly lives of garbage day, right? Without it, we'd literally be a mess. We have the weekly ritual of taking all the junk out of our home and someone comes and picks it up. It's kind of awesome, right? We also have seasonal rituals of this same kind of thing. We downsize or try to downsize after Christmas often to sort of make room for the new stuff we've gotten. Or we get all house cluttered in the winter and we have this yearly spring cleaning where we metaphorically open up our house before we can actually physically open up our house, right? We have these rituals of cleaning. Right now, if you were to walk in my office, you see I have five stacks of books sitting on the floor because I decided to start cleaning my bookshelves off. Uh, And so that's my own spring cleaning, right? So we all have these rituals because we know that life gets busy, and when life gets busy, sometimes we don't always take the time to clean up after ourselves, and life gets cluttered. And clutter is distracting, and it's stressful. At least for me, it's stressful. I cannot rest if our house is a disaster. Uh, it really stresses me out. At the first service, Katie asked, how, does it, how do your parents act when it's really messy? And one of the kids went like this. And I was like, I feel you. So, so there we are. It's, it's stressful. And the same actually goes for our spiritual lives as well. We don't often take the time to sort of declutter our spiritual lives. We are in this season of Lent, and Lent kind of gives us some space, some room for a soul or heart spring cleaning, a kind of garbage gathering to prepare for the garbage collection day on the horizon. Now, usually we think of Lent as this really reflective, meditative, calm season, right? It's peaceful even. But today's gospel lesson doesn't really fit that theme. Jesus walks into the temple, looks around, calmly braids a bunch of cords into a whip, and then he uses that whip to force all of the people and animals out of the temple. So often we've understood this text, found in all four gospels, to be about how selling things in the temple is wrong. You maybe had heard that before. Like that was the problem brought forward in today's text. But this actually was the normal way of things. See, people traveled a long way to get to Jerusalem, to go to the temple. And sometimes they would travel for days or weeks, and they couldn't always afford to bring a sacrificial animal along for the journey. It was expensive and inconvenient. So the temple rules set up a way for travelers to purchase these goods for sacrifice or celebration in the temple. It was actually written about in the temple laws in Deuteronomy. So says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, Then exchange your tithe for silver, take the silver with you, and go to the place your Lord God will choose. 
Use the silver to buy whatever you would like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish, and then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. So this marketplace in the temple was actually sort of the normal order of things. What makes the marketplace problematic is when it's used to keep people out. So when people would come, sometimes the the market place would use their exchange tables to extort people. So they would essentially charge them more if they were making an exchange in the marketplace. So out-of-town visitors had a higher price to pay. That means they'd often come a long way, go to the marketplace, and not actually have enough money to get what they needed. It wouldn't be equal to what they were bringing, would have brought from home. So it was believed that the temple literally was the house of God where God was located, and so not being able to have this tithe there meant your access to God was essentially denied. Now imagine this scene with me. A regular day at the temple. People coming in and out, animals milling about, sacrificial things here and there, right? Exchanging silver offerings to be used in the temple. And then Jesus comes in and clears house with a whip. I have this picture of the, the last moment, just after the last little sheep has like run out of the room, right? And Jesus is standing there holding a whip in the midst of just chaos. Just chaos that he caused, right? And it gets quiet. So quiet as the dust kind of settles. Jesus says then, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And no one knows what the heck he is talking about. They think he's actually talking about the temple they're standing in, which they say, it's been under construction for 46 years. I don't think you're going to do that in three days. And while the physical act of taking a whip to the temple marketplace is probably what sets the wheels in motion for him to be arrested and killed, he is trying to make a much bigger point. Now Jesus enters the temple and sees this marketplace, the the normal order of things, the way they've been commanded to act in the temple, being used discriminately, right? Incorrectly, injustice is reigning all around this temple marketplace. And he gets angry. And if we're honest, we don't really like this angry Jesus all that much. We'd much prefer the loving Jesus, the kind one who picks people up off the side of the road and heals them, the one who tells children to come and gather around. Angry Jesus doesn't quite fit into our preferred image. Anger is an emotion we're not so sure of what to do with in ourselves, right? Much less in God. But anger does something important in the world and in the church. Instead of being wary of angry Jesus, I kind of think maybe we need to draw nearer to him. We need to lean in a little bit to what Jesus is pushing against. So that we can also look at what things in our world are in need of this same kind of disruption. We should be paying attention to the ways in the world, in today's society really, that need a braided cord taken to them. It's easy to say, well, it's just the way things are. I mean, 
I, I see all the injustice you're talking about. I see it all around. It's on the news all the time. I know what you're talking about, but it's just kind of the way things are, and there's not really anything I can do about it. But what if that's not how it needs to be? See, Jesus takes a literal whip to the way things are, disrupting the normal order of the temple, and as many scholars agree, sets the wheels in motion for his death warrant to be issued. For the temple leaders, for those in power, in charge of the system of the day, this is the last straw. You do not mess with the way things are. And I think we can really understand this. We like things the way they are. In fact, I'd say for most of us, we prefer that nothing changes at all. When the status quo or the way of things or the way things are gets pushed against, gets disrupted even for a moment, we don't like it. We tell 17-year-olds who watch their classmates get killed at school they should stop speaking up because they're too young to get what they're talking about. We tell black men who literally use their bodies to provide us hours of entertainment that they are not allowed to have opinions and should shut up and dribble, even when those opinions are about the injustice against their very bodies. We tell women who speak up against sexual harassment that they are being too shrill and too outspoken and too sensitive and you better off, better off not working at all if you can't handle a little good-natured teasing. We tell pastors that they shouldn't be political, ignoring all the times where Jesus is speaking out against the powers and principalities and taking a whip to the temple marketplace. Oh, we do not like disruption to the way things are at all. And those are just a few examples from a very long list. Now, I think there are two kinds of reactions to this pushback. Those gathered in the temple in today's gospel, watching Jesus disrupt everything, they don't get mad or make assumptions. They try to understand what just Happened. I picture these wide-eyed temple goers like just standing there with their mouths open. And they say, what sign can you show us for doing this, Jesus? They say, why did you just do that? Can you explain it to us? Because we're trying to understand what just happened here. Now, oh, how I wish this one were me. But I'm afraid I'm more like the temple insider, the chief priests and the scribes holding my previous position even more firmly, so assured that I'm right, unwilling to imagine there might be another way. So set in our ways, we ignore the words and the injustice behind the voices calling out, and instead we get offended and begin to put in motion the very system being spoken out against to shut it down and shut them up. If we are to lean in here into what Jesus is feeling and why he does what he does in this moment, we might start to ask ourselves, what if these moments of disruption that we see and we feel are not just an inconvenience or a personal attack on you, 
but a decluttering of the temple. A movement towards something more like God intended. A clearing out of space that God will use for something new, new understanding, new growth, new life. See, Lent is about redemption and renewal, and those things are not always peaceful. Redemption and renewal don't always feel calm or easy or restful or because for something to be made new, to be renewed, something has to die. And for room to be made, something has to go away. Making room by getting rid of some of the way things are is usually the opposite of peaceful. It's hard and it's painful and it makes us uncomfortable because we like the old system. It works for us. Even if it doesn't work for everyone, it works for us. But that is not the system God has in mind. Not for me, not for you, not for Prince of Peace, and not for the world. So this is what our Lent is for. For leaning in to taking Time, each of us looking honestly at ourselves and asking really hard questions that we do not want to take the time to ask. In what ways do I participate in a system that excludes and minimizes others? How do I hold on to a system that seeks to contain and control God, keeping him in the temple instead of joining God's redeeming work in the world? See, Lent is when we get to take the time to see what things we've placed in the temple that don't belong there anymore and clean them out. It is no mistake that the Hebrew scripture selection to be paired with today's gospel is Exodus 20, where God speaks the command to have no other gods and to not make idols of anything on heaven or on earth. And then in the gospel, Jesus walks into a temple where they've definitely made an idol of the processes and systems there, and he blows it to pieces. So in this season, we have to ask ourselves, what have we made idols of? What regular order of things, the way things are, are we unwilling to let go of? To what injustice in the world are we turning a blind eye to in order to make our own lives remain as they are? I get it. It is not comfortable to ask these questions. It is hard, and we'd rather not go there. But Jesus pushes us to go there by going there first. By showing us what righteous anger on behalf of someone else looks like. He is in the temple, pushing against the system of that very temple, against the idea that God can be controlled and contained and used to exclude people. Jesus is disrupting the temple system to show that all these rules and regulations, including the marketplace, are becoming an idol. That the system and the people within the system have begun to miss the point. They are missing God. When regular order takes the place of the work of God, I believe, yes, God gets a little angry. And when the system of power and privilege is held as more sacred than the lives of marginalized and oppressed, yes, I think God gets angry. We've got some cleaning to do. 
this Lent. And it is not fun. But hear me when I say what you are making room for is so much better than what you have placed in the temple. In that moment of silence, following the chaos, when Jesus speaks of himself as the temple, it is a huge moment. Jesus takes God, who God is and where God can be found, out of the temple. Shows us that God is not boundaried by rules and regulation and good order. Jesus is literally, with a whip, breaking down one system and replacing it with himself. A new system. One in which those who have been excluded are brought in. A system of healing and relationships instead of hierarchy and power. A system of love, of claiming and naming, and one we are all invited into. God is no longer in the temple. God is in the world. And then God takes it all the way to the cross to show just how far this new system will go to break down the old, to put the old system to death once and for all and rise to new life in the space he created. For it was on the night in which he was betrayed, gathered around a table with his disciples where the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, gave it to all to eat and said, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. We just held out our hands and and got to feel and see and taste how much God loves us. The system of the world of the temple has been broken and something new has been risen to new life. The system of God is different than the system of the world and yet we will step out of this place and know that the system of the world is still rocking and rolling out there uh, and and hurting people. And uh, that injustice that we see and feel should make us mad. That's what injustice should do. It should fire us up and send us out to do some good work. So. To remind you of this, I'm not sending you home with a whip, promise, but I am sending you home with a a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran theologian who um, worked uh, worked tirelessly to fight against Hitler and the Nazis uh, and what they were doing in Germany, and he was eventually arrested for his plot to try to kill Hitler and put in a concentration camp where he was put to death for his refusal to accept what was going on in the world as okay, looking around at injustice and saying, we are not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheel of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. So that is a big call, but it is a call that we have been given and one that I hope we will answer together. The world is not the happiest, most wonderful place, but we have received the new system. We are a part of the new system. And so we go 
to drive a spoke into the wheel and share the love of God with those who are being crushed by it. So, do we go in peace to love and serve the Lord?